next week is, um, Patrick, don't let people hold you back from coming to church. Yeah. yeah. Um, so next week is Pentecost, and so um, wanted to start on um, the Holy Spirit this week, and then Derek will talk about it next week. Um, sound of the mighty. Let's go. A little more. Should I use the other mic or are we good? Okay. Okay. Hey, there's still a noise. You can hear a hum in the thingy. Check, check, check. Cool. Okay, so want to talk about the Holy Spirit and talk about... Talk about the mind of the Holy Spirit, because usually we don't think of how the Holy... You can stretch your feet out. I'll try not to trip, David. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Farin? Yeah, it'll keep me on camera, yeah. Just put your foot out. I'll stay within the thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we rarely talk about how he thinks. And the intent is, can we, can we engage him um, like he would really like to be engaged and not use him like he was some kind of agent from God who's supposed to be used? That's the intent. So to begin with, is it even possible for us, when I say us, don't think of somebody else, think of yourself. Is it even possible for us to say words like, I really love you, Holy Spirit? And when you say that, is there enough oomph behind what you're saying. It's possible to say, I really love you, Jesus. Or it's possible to say, Abba, I really love you. Well, why is it that most of us struggle with putting enough oomph into, I really love you, Holy Spirit? Or perhaps some of us don't have that issue, but many of us do, eh? Because we don't relate to him like that. If you said that, would you be able to do it with enough reasoning, enough thinking, enough emotion, enough feeling? Would you be able to engage spirit and soul when you say to him, I love you, Holy Spirit, I really love you, Holy Spirit? Would you be able to write a song to the Holy Spirit? Surprisingly, no. That's why you hardly hear songs about the Holy Spirit. You hear about flooding a room, filling the atmosphere. When was the last time you said that to your wife? Could you just flood this room and fill the atmosphere? We don't, but we've been able to take what the Old Testament and sometimes the New Testament did. We, we, we think of him as wind, we think of him as fire, we think of him as oil, we think of him as dove, but we do not have the ability to capture him as a person. And so we don't necessarily go into the next step of thinking with him or thinking like him. Because how do you think like a dove, like fire, like wind, like... It's not possible. So we stick with words like flood the atmosphere, of, uh, fill the room, and really that's not what he does. 
So we can grasp the Father, we can grasp the Son, but not so much the Spirit, because he's always been represented in non-personal terms. That's sad, eh? The one who is really personal, who actually lives in you, knows you better than you know, he knows, uh, knows you better than anybody else. He who is so personal is always referred to in imp- unper- impersonal terms. This is why we don't even know what to expect when we say baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's it supposed to look like? Is it supposed to be tongues? Is it supposed to be prophetic utterances? Is it supposed to be keeling over? Is it supposed to be jumping up and down? Is it something in the air? All those things are supposed to follow after we connect personally. You connect with someone you love and all these things may happen. You may fall down, you may jump up, you may feel like there's electricity in the air. But it all happens because of a connect. It doesn't happen without the connect. So the attempt is, can we make him uninvisible? Can we make him uninvisible? Can we make him personal so that we begin to think like he thinks? Any questions? Any questions? Say that again, Mark. Yeah, why separate the Father from the Holy Spirit? Because surprisingly in Galatians 4.6 and Galatians 3.5, the scriptures separate him. In Galatians 4.6, they call him the Spirit of Christ. In Galatians 3.5, they call him the Spirit of the Father. And so they actually give him personhood. So much so that Jesus said, I have to go so that he can come. And he he actually puts it this way. He says, I've got to go to the Father so that the Spirit of the Father can come to you. So the scriptures actually person him and separate him. The triune God is not separate and yet they are three persons. Yeah, yeah. So we, the thing is, we relate to the Father, we relate to the Son. But we are not able to relate to the Spirit. A part of that is because there has been a historical um, tendency to unpersonalize him. And yet he's the one who is present here. <sighs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Maybe you are. Maybe you're way ahead of some of us, and now you won't know how to handle that statement when I put you up on a pedestal. So I thought I'd deliberately do it, and it'll shut you down. So, so, so maybe you are, but the rest of us are struggling with it, Diana. Well, well, I'm, not saying that I do. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I know you're struggling with it too. Yeah. So that was a smart move, Jacob. Yeah. So. So just as Christ has made the Father real, and just as, uh, so Christ makes the Father real, eh? and, and this was how it was supposed to be. The, the amazing way the Godhead works is that the Godhead places a, a light on the other person of the Godhead. Always remember that, eh? they, are, they, they work as one, and therefore the Father points towards the Son. He says, you want to see me? Look at the Son. 
What does the son do? You want to see me? Uh, when you see me, you see the father. And then one of the things Jesus does is he says, I'm leaving you with someone else now. Because if I'm here, I'll only be in Vancouver. I cannot be in Vernon and I cannot be in London. So I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so one of the things Jesus does is point towards the Holy Spirit. Does he do that in scripture? Yeah. John 17, John 16, John 14, John 15. Just, just this continuous um, unfolding of who the Holy Spirit is through those four chapters in particular. The Acts of the Apostles is really not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And you begin to see evidence of him there. What he does, how he thinks. Sometimes we've reduced him to the engine of the church and things he does, like the fruit of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. But what about him? Yeah, and that's, that's what he does. But how about knowing him too? Why is it that we leave out the third person of the triune God? Why do we reduce him to gifts of the Spirit, to speaking in tongues, to a few prophetic words, and stuff like that? We don't know him. And to know him is to know God. To know him who lives in you 24-7 and to relate to him, ah, it'll be fun, man. It won't take away anything from us, huh? It'll add to us. Because he's the one who's living inside of you, right now. Right now, the only person of the Godhead that is at present inside this body is him who is called the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of the Father. We call him the Holy Spirit because that's what scriptures call him too. But we don't say Holy Jesus. And occasionally we say, Holy Father. You love saying Jesus, don't you? It's the most amazing name in the world. But there is this person called the Spirit of God. And he's the only one who's in me right now. He's the only one who will help us as I'm teaching to figure out what's true and what's not. He's the only one in this room right now representing the Father and the Son. Might be a good idea to kind of begin to relate to him better. Won't happen overnight. So in dealing with the Spirit, we are dealing with God's personal presence. So in dealing with the Spirit, so we've got to get that right, eh? We, de we are dealing, we are dealing with God's personal presence. You're dealing with God's personal presence. So that's the first thing, eh? That the Spirit of God is God's personal presence for Jacob, for Acts 29, for you. He's God's personal presence. Imagine that for a second. There's something about the private life of God that I now have because of the personal presence of God in me. Just hear those words again, eh? There's something about the private life of God. Marvel at these words, eh? There is something about the private life of God that I now get to partake in because of the personal presence of God by the Spirit. 
Is the scripture? Yes. You read First Peter, it talks about that. That we are now partakers in his divine nature. How? How do you partake in someone's divine nature unless you have an in into his private or her private life? And how does that happen? Through the personal presence of God himself by the Spirit in me. That is nuts, man. This is what we're talking about. This is not even what we're talking about. This is who we're talking about. We don't, the moment I put private before his life, you realize, oh, shucks. This is someone's life that you're sharing in. Nothing held back. Nothing held back. The strange thing about God is nothing is held back. It is open to you as, as far as you want to swim. Nothing is held back. He says that. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 6 when he's talking about his human love for people. He says, if you have a problem with me, it is not because my heart is small. It is because your heart is small because my heart is open to you and I'm holding nothing back. If a man can say that, then take 1 Corinthians 13 and you will find that God doesn't hold anything back either. So how deep do you go into the private life of God? As deep as you want to. Why aren't we going? Because of our own fears, our own hesitations, our own theology, our own background, our own sin, our own independence, our own fallenness. That's the reason we don't go further. Not because he's holding it back. Gosh, man, when you became born again, the words he said was, I do. It was a marriage. Romans 7 talks about it. You free yourself from your past. And you become one with the one that you belong to. How do you free yourself from the past? Romans 7 says, you cannot marry another as long as you're married to someone. And then in being born again, what are you doing? I'm cutting myself off. The past is dead. Now that the past is dead, I can join myself to someone new. You have been betrothed to one. And in you saying, Jesus, I want you into my life, the reply is, I do. And it is forever, eh? And there is nothing held back. This is the kind of God we have. All righty, Emmanuel. <laughs> nope. No big deal. I just wanted to highlight it. Yeah. <laughs> I got a text message from someone saying, maybe tone down the joking because there are a lot of new guests here. I will start doing that from this moment on. So if I go really serious on you, uh, it's because, yeah. Hey, the Spirit of God is God walking with you in the garden 24-7. That's what Adam had. We must realize, and I've said this before, that one of the things that happens as soon as you become born again is you get the presence of God back and you get a father. The very idea of being born again is, hey, you lost the presence of God, you lost your father. In being born again now, you get two things back. You get the presence of God back and the presence of God comes back to you by the Holy Spirit. You get back to where Adam used to be where he used to have the presence of God 24-7 in the garden. The reason the Spirit of God now comes into my life and does not leave is because the intent has always been, can we restore Eden? Can we restore Eden? 
which is why God keeps saying, can I make all things new? That's God's primary intent, eh? Can I make all things new? So what does he do? He makes you new first. He makes your spirit new first. Through the word, he's making your thinking new. When you die, you'll have new bodies. That's been made new. Nothing has changed since Eden. I am making all things new. And then in Revelation 21 verse 5, there's this loud voice from the throne which says, Behold, I have made all things new. One of the things the Spirit of God does is make all things new. And he does this joyfully. He doesn't do it as a chore. And so what's he, one of the things I have to realize and practice, where when you write Genesis 1 with me in it, it should be, and every evening in the cool of the day, Jacob and God used to walk together. This is possible now because of the Spirit. He doesn't leave. He doesn't leave. Great thing is he doesn't even need to walk. For some of us, that's an advantage. So, uh, sorry, we're not supposed to joke right now. Yes, no joking. No joking. Stop it. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is not going to go well. <laughs> so, um, I'm trying. <laughs> so, where was I? Yeah, guys, and he's a person, so he can be lied to, he can be vexed, he can be grieved, he speaks, he has a voice, he hears. All these things are real too. I love the fact that he can be grieved. He's real. I can grieve him. That's just so awesome that he hurts if I can hurt him. What I mean by that so awesome is, to be able to relate to someone invisible who lives in me, who hurts, also means that he can be highly pleased. I can hurt him, I can vex him. Kids vex you, right? Don't touch that. I'm not touching it yet, I'm not touching it yet. You can vex him. You can quench him. He has a voice, he hears. He's got all, he's got a whole set of emotions, eh? He's a God of laughter. The Holy Spirit laughs. Without making it go silly. It'll sound silly, but it's not. Do you realize that any good humor comes from God? Do you realize that laughing and the idea of Isaac and laughter and uh, all these were God-born. That Adam and God would walk around and they would look at the platypus and they'd laugh their heads off. <laughs> the, the, the idea is that we do not relate to God like that. We do not relate to him like that. And the hope is that we can at least begin to and that at the risk of sounding silly, we'll include God in conversations that we don't normally have. Because he has a whole range of emotions, from crying to laughter to sadness to joy to exceeding joy. There's a reason why scripture says in Psalm 16 that I have anointed you with gladness beyond your brothers. There's a reason that he begins to weep 
over Jerusalem. He's, he's standing over Jerusalem. You can see the rest of Jerusalem below you. And he's beginning to weep. His heart is grieved. Where did those emotions come from? Because he, he was a perfect man. He drew them from the Spirit. Ah, to be able to know him like that. Because in knowing him like that, you will also know the Father and Son better because he reveals the Father and Son. When you get to know the revealer, you get to know who he is revealing even better. Any questions? Because sometimes, guys, if you don't know the one you're walking with, it'll dull your ability to actively participate with him. If you don't know the one you're walking with, it'll dull your ability to actively participate with him. We talk about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, right? Every doxology ends with, may the love of the Father, the peace of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, as in participating with the Holy Spirit. So awareness activates participation. Awareness activates participation. If I'm dull to who I'm walking with, it's highly unlikely that I will be able to share in fellowship with the Spirit of God. Because what is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit then? That he comforts you when you mourn? What about the times you're not mourning? And if all he is, is a gift giver or a fruit producer, again, you're reducing him to an agent. He is God's agent, but he's so much more than that. Any questions? Here are some words you would rarely think of God as, but um, perhaps with the Holy Spirit it might be a little easier. Amazingly exuberant. Amazingly exuberant. Super enthusiastic. Humorous. A pining for relational joy. A pining for relational joy. Crazy, eh? A pining for relational joy. Ah, that bothers me, that he pines for relational joy. As in, if I spend time with you and I really like you, I'd pine for relation joy, relational joy. I'd yearn for relational joy. I'd like to have a time of laughter with you. I'd like to just relax with you. A pining for relational joy, that the Spirit of God is like that. That is amazingly exuberant. Exuberant is not happy. Exuberant is like really happy. Like, but this is who he is. The more we go down this road, the less we realize we know him. Super enthusiastic. When was the last time you thought God was really super enthusiastic about you? Guys, I don't know which to wrap around this, my heart or my mind, because I'm struggling with both my heart and my mind. My heart cannot understand a God like this. My mind cannot fathom a God like this. Because right from when you're a kid, you're taught otherwise. I want to. I'm pleading with God, please let me in. 
This is why Jesus came down in flesh. He had to show the 12 and the 72 and the 120 and the 512. He had to show them, I am God in flesh and this is who I am. A man of sorrows who was great fun to hang around with. Otherwise, fishermen, prostitutes and tax collectors don't hang around with people like that. You've got to be a certain type. He came down in flesh to show this. Do you see why sometimes Christianity sucks? Because we can't show this, because we don't even see him like that. How do you show him like that? We can show it in here, but in here is so easy when it's a beautiful song. Out there is where... I mean, when you look at Isaiah 60 verse 1, Arise and shine for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Upon who? We think it's Jesus. Upon us. And what should happen then? The Gentile should come to your light and kings should come to the brightness of your glory. Are they? What does light look like? I would say parts of light are exuberant, amazing joy, super enthusiasm and a decent sense of humor. Any questions? Any questions, guys? Okay. So now, he cannot love, he cannot show compassion, he cannot show mercy, he cannot show grace, he cannot show these uh, fine fruit if he didn't have any emotions. Have you ever loved without emotions? That's what you do to cats, perhaps. But besides that, any love that you show has to have emotions in it. Can mercy be shown without emotions? Can compassion be shown without emotions? You suddenly realize that the very reason I even begin to uh, feel the things I feel from God, why do you weep when mercy is shown you by God? You've just done something terrible and God turns up and showers you with so much mercy that you begin to weep. Why is it that sometimes the love of God touches you? It's because something about it grabs your heart, man, and he comes to you with these emotions. The fruit of the Spirit without emotions is not fruit. It's blooming a bud that hasn't matured. Try eating one of those things. Thank God God is a God of emotions that packs the fruit with feeling. Otherwise, we would not know what mercy means. Rahem. You know the word mercy comes from the word rahem? You know what rahem means? Rahem is a compassion that the mom feels for the baby in her womb. That carries some visceral emotion. So to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit is to feel His presence, eh? Uh, to go factual on the Holy Spirit is to miss out on the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not a guy with feelings. I just trust that the Holy Spirit is here. Feelings are not my thing. Well, then the Holy Spirit is not fully your thing either. Because it comes together. That's why I said to a man in the back row, cry. 
a man's man cried. The other thing that's so fascinating is that the Spirit of God knows the mind of God. Eh? We got to move. One of the things we have to realize about, the, about us and the Holy Spirit. Most, see, you can almost divide Christianity into three parts. One, that doesn't know the will of God and doesn't know how to find the will of God. So it's a nebulous life. Uh, uh, it's this, it's this uh, Isaiah 55 verse 5 life. Oh, the thoughts of God are higher than ours and his ways are... Um, um, uh, higher than ours. We have no idea what God is doing. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. That's one side of Christianity. That's a pathetic live, way to live when God lives in you. And then there's another side of Christianity, which is we want to know the will of God. And so people begin to seek the will of God. But what about a third way, which is even better? I want to know the mind of God. I'm not satisfied with knowing his will. I want to know how he thinks. Knowing his will can still come out of devotion, prayer, hearing, and all that stuff. Thinking like him can only come out of relationship. Eh? One of the things Jesus said in the book of John is, hey, I'm not calling you servants. I'm calling you friends because servants don't know what the master is thinking. But friends know. To become a friend, you have to think like God. To think like God is to figure out how he's thinking. And you have people like this in the Bible. You have Abraham who knows that this Yahweh who he met just a few years ago in Terah, this Yahweh is a God that has compassion and is very reasonable and super fair. So what does he do? He begins to engage God at Sodom in a bargain saying, what if it was 30? What if it was 20? What if it was 10? What if it was 5? He begins to bargain with God. There's another guy called Joshua who knows enough to know that I can ask God to keep the sun standing still and he'll do it for 24 hours. There's another guy called Peter who knows that if I ask him and say, can I come and walk on water, knowing him and knowing how he is after having hung out with him for two years, he'll say, come. There's a way that these men in the Old Testament and the New Testament began to understand how God thinks. There was another woman, and I cannot imagine how she got the hang of this. A Syrophoenician woman who engages in an argument with Jesus, saying, dogs get the scraps that fall off the table. They clicked onto something. Guys, it's time for us as a church to move from just seeking his will to knowing how he thinks. How does it work? In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, it says, The Spirit of God searches the mind of God. The Spirit of God searches the deep things in the mind of God. How does it start? 1 Corinthians 2.10. Who knows a man's mind? Who knows what you're thinking right now? Nobody knows what you are thinking right now better than your spirit. Just as a man's spirit knows what a man is thinking, so the Spirit of God knows what God is thinking. Because he searches the mind of God about everything. And so what am I supposed to do now? I'm supposed to search the mind of the Spirit. Searching the mind of the Spirit. What does that look like? It's like this, uh, those um, little alien creatures with antenna. R2-D2. Not relating. Star Wars. C-3PO. R2-D2. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it didn't have antenated eyes. I go, no? Gosh, man, you guys are so deprived in your education. So, how many have seen the first Star Wars? Praise the Lord. Okay. Half this church is still educated. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it, it's, it's searching the mind of God, eh? scanning, uh, saying, Spirit of God, this is the situation. I don't want to know your will. I want to know how you think about this. Just think of those words. You're not saying to the Spirit of God that you want to know your, the will of God. Why? Because you don't want an instant answer. You want to begin to think like him. This is what parents do when kids grow older. When, when kids are small, parents tell them what to do. Dad, how do I do this? Dad, 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 dad. that's it. But as a child begins to grow older, the intent is, how do I do this is not met with, this is how you do it. It is, let's talk about this. And then you engage in a conversation. We've got to try this, guys. It won't happen overnight. This won't be fun in the beginning. Because it's so much easier working with the will of God. Father, what's your will? Get his will to it. And there's a place for that. Eh? I'm not dissing that. But now there's another way to live. And what's that other way? That, hey, let's... So, Holy Spirit, this is what I was thinking of for Washington, D.C. What do you think? And then a conversation begins. Sometimes God will deliberately not give the answer so that he can engage you in a conversation. Hear me again. Sometimes God will deliberately choose to hold back an answer so that he can engage you in a conversation. Because relationship is formed in conversations, not in answers. The Greeks and the Jews did not want engagement. They wanted signs or evidence. Children who are maturing want engagement. How do you think? It won't be easy, but it'll be so fun. Any questions? Because remember, this is the same Spirit of God who was there in Genesis 1 verse 2 and Revelation 21 verse 17. He's there. And the strange thing is, it's not even linear before him. It's before him at once because he is I am. Just as the Father and Son are I am. Remember, the Father said I am. The Son said I am. And now the Spirit of God is I am too. He's there right now in Genesis 1 verse 2. And he's also there in Revelation 21 when everything has come to an end and all things have been made new. He's there too. And it's not waiting to happen. It is before him instantly because he is I am. This is the God who lives in me. And you think if you had Elon Musk living in your house, you think you would be talking to him about bread and butter and jam? You'd be talking about can Tesla feed me while I'm driving? And how do we get that going? If we would do that with Elon Musk, if we would do that with Bill Gates, people pay thousands of dollars just to have dinner with Gates or Musk or... Um, who's the Oracle of Omaha? Buffett. I mean, I'd like to try that and see how many would pay for dinner with me. 
Dilna, you're laughing too loud. But this is who lives in us. And sometimes search his mind on things you don't need, guys, but things that are important. There are times when we must use the Holy Spirit because he asks it. He says, use me so that I can use you. Yes, that part is true. But there are other times where be merry. Be merry. Sit and talk about things. And the strange thing with him is he's not in heaven. He's in you. He's in you. Learn to search his mind, eh? Because he searches the mind of God. Knowing his will has become so important that we are not interested in knowing his mind. And once you begin to search his mind, it'll, he'll lead you into conversations. He'll lead you into arguments. He'll encourage your arguments. He'll encourage your arguments. In Isaiah 43, I think it says, contend with me, argue with me. Bring your reasoning to me. Let's talk. Habakkuk chapter 3 or 2, same thing. Look at the words that Old Testament guys are speaking. I will go up and stand on the watchtower. And I will ask God a question. And I will wait for his answer. I want to see how he'll answer me. Gosh, man. And then God begins to answer. But it's, how do you think the prophetic in the Old Testament happened? You think it was created in a vacuum where someone decided, hmm, feel like a pen and paper would be a good idea while I go walking today. No, it was in conversation. Isaiah would be doing something really not important, like washing dishes. And then suddenly, he'd hear a voice saying, I need you to go to the potter's house. So he takes a walk to the potter's house. He still doesn't know why he's going to the potter's house. And when he gets to the potter's house, the potter has just opened the place and he's put clay on the wheel. And then while he's putting clay on the wheel, one vase gets ruined. So he takes it and chucks it. And then has a second thought and takes the clay back. And he begins to knead it again. And after kneading it, he puts it back on the potter's wheel and it turns into something beautiful that it wasn't. And God says, saw that? Jeremiah, same thing. Hey, Jeremiah, what do you see? I see an almond uh, tree with buds on it. Gosh, you're seeing well. That's how the conversation begins. I'm saying to you, he's inviting us into this. It leads to conversations. It leads to arguments. My only thing in arguments with God is I'll tell him, uh, Father, just uh, let me know if I'm stepping out of line or if I'm getting aggressive, and I'll back off. Because it's very hard to have an argument without getting a little aggressive and backing uh, and uh, demanding. So every time that happens, I'll say, oops, sorry, crossed the line there. You are God and I am not. Can we go back to reasoning? Reasoning. Dueling. What do you think is happening with Abraham and God? But he's very respectful as he duels. It's what parents and kids do.
Let's do one more and then we'll stop. Hey, um, one of the things the Holy Spirit is always doing is, can I, can, I, can I restore you to the image of God? Yes, it started at salvation. We were made in the image of God, and that's why God said to Adam, I'm okay with you going reproducing, replenishing the earth, filling it. Why? Because you are after my kind, and I'm completely all right with you multiplying, because when you multiply, you will multiply after my kind. One of the things God still does, and he does it by the Holy Spirit, is can I make you into my image in every which way? In terms of your body, in terms of how you think and feel, and in terms of how you are spiritually, can I make you like me so that you can replicate? The permission to replicate only comes when you're true to the original. There's a reason why governments don't accept photocopies. Or if you do get a photocopy, you've got to have it endorsed by some um, guy who charges you money for it. What, what are they called? Notary public, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a better term for them. And so, um, uh, the intent of God is, can I fulfill Genesis 1.26 by my spirit, where I still get to make you into my image so that you can replicate after my kind, as in God's kind. And that's something he keeps doing. So one of the things he does is uh, renew the spirit of, renew the spirit of my mind by, by giving me the mind of the spirit. So you can't, you can't claim the um, Fifth Amendment in, um, or you can't claim the uh, scripture in Isaiah 55, 5, which says, his thoughts are higher than mine, his ways are higher than mine. Yes, they are. But in 1 Corinthians 2, 16, it says, but we have the mind of Christ. So we can't, we can't use that anymore. It's a cop-out. It was okay in the Old Testament, it's wrong in the New Testament. And so the intent is, can I have the spirit of my mind renewed because I'm being given the mind of the spirit? Guys, just think of it, eh? So Musk is coming up to you and saying, I'm giving you my way of thinking. I'm giving you my mind. I'm giving you my blueprints. I'm giving you all the secret recipes to send the next rocket to Venus. Here they are. And he comes and gives it to you. Only Christ is even more sure that, listen, I'll give you my mind, Jacob, but as I give you my mind, will you engage in thinking like me by coming to me and having conversations with me? So then, we, we, need, to, we need to stop wanting the will of God within a time frame. That's another thing that happens to us. We need an answer by tomorrow. I need an answer by tomorrow. I have to give a reply. No, you need a start. That's all you need. Here is the beginning of a thought. Now let us work this together. Only petulant, immature kids demand an answer. Dan, 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 Dan. It gets more nasal as you go on. But if we can get the beginning and then go through the process of can we think together? 
what do we get in the bargain? We get God. What else do we get? The answer. We get God. It's a whole different thing, man. So I just need the beginning, and then I'll start going down that road. In the process, I'll get to the end, but I won't get my answer like I wanted, cookie cutter ready to be consumed, and that's okay. Sometimes Jillian will ask me a question, and I'll text Jillian saying, um, yeah, I'll let you know in an hour. 24 hours later, she'll send me a text saying, that was the longest hour I have been through. <laughs> and then, <laughs> but, the, but the reason I, I'm not able to is because I don't have it yet. But I know the process has started. And it's so fun now explaining the process too. The intent of the Spirit is not to make you a better Christian. The intent of the Spirit is not to make you a better Christian. Here are some of the intents of the Spirit of God. Eh? One, can I make you more confident of how God sees you? Make you more confident of how God sees you. Make you more confident of how God sees you. Two, I love this one. Elevate you to the same relationship or the, or the richness of the relationship that Jesus had, that Jesus has with the Father. Three, help you attain the maturity of Christ. This is one of his favorite things to do, make us Christ-like. And four, fulfill Genesis 1.27 through you, or 1.28, which is go forth, multiply, replenish, subdue. These are some of the intents of God, eh? and they're such brilliant intents. The first one is, hey, can I just show you how the Father sees you? Can I just show you how the Father sees you? Can I just show you the longings of the Father's heart? Again, in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13, that's what it says. It says, he searches the mind of God, and it is this spirit that God has that he has put in you so that you may know the thoughts and the ways that God works. It was said of Israel and of Moses, these two things were said of Israel and Moses. Israel knew the ways of God. Moses knew the... No, Israel knew the acts of God. Moses knew the ways of God. What has happened in charismatic and Pentecostal Christianity, to an extent, is we know the acts of God. We know what to expect on Pentecost. But we don't know the ways of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, come, let me show you my ways. So that, like Moses, it doesn't matter what's thrown your way. You know how to navigate. You know that if you lay down in front of me, even though I've said I'm going to destroy an entire nation, you lay down before me and you know that I'll relent. Because you know my heart. Why? Because you saw me on the mountain and I said to you that I'm gracious and compassionate unto a thousand generations and I'm angry up to four. You know that I'm Yahweh, the self-existent one, merciful and compassionate. And now the Holy Spirit does the same thing. You don't have to climb up a mountain anymore. First Pentecost, he had to climb up a mountain. 
Now, the mountains come to you. The fire and the power and the noise and the earthquake, everything is in here. It's in here that it happens. And so, his thing is, can I make you more confident of how God sees you? The greater your confidence in how God sees you, the greater your exploits. The greater your confidence in how God sees you, the greater your exploits. This is why it is so easy for us to be dismantled by words. Words especially of people that you look up to. Words especially of people that sometimes employ you. Words especially of people that you expected to protect you, take care of you. Their words dismantle us. And then you have him. And he's constantly wanting to show how, how he thinks of you. And as your confidence increases, you get restored. Restoration comes through increase in confidence. Restoration comes through an increase in confidence. You want restoration in your life? Look for an increase in confidence from the hand of God. Otherwise, restoration, what? If, you, if I give you a better job, you'll be restored? No, you'll have a better job, but you'll still be pathetic. Restoration comes when something happens inside. Kids know this. Kids know this. Kids don't want the beating or the... Oh, parents don't beat kids anymore. Um, let's take another example. Yeah, uh, let's go 50 years ago when Dilna was young. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know why I'm picking on you, Dilna. I usually pick on Mike. Yeah, but we're not going to do that today. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, my dad would restore my confidence after a spanking by taking me out, explaining why he spanked me. I wasn't listening because I knew there was something else that comes at the end, which is usually any ice cream I want and as much as I want. And it would be this restoration of confidence. But that walk was critical, eh? The walk to the marketplace was critical. Because the, the, the spanking still hurt, but there was something else that had happened. Remember, restoration comes through an increase of confidence. When I'm not doing well in any area, I go to that well of confidence that the Father can have me look into so that it becomes the image that stares back at me. And the image that stares back at me is not the image that is in here, but it's something else that stares back at me. It's that picture of the... Yeah. Second one. Elevate you to the same relationship that Jesus has with the Father. This is something so important to him. And he's inviting us this week into this. Saying, can you do this through the week so I can do something on Pentecost? Can I bring you into the richness of the relationship that Jesus had with the Father? Where you're walking along the road and you have conversations with God and you say stuff like, I'm not doing this for my own benefit. I'm speaking out loud so that others hear. Um, your burden is easy. Your yoke is light. Um, all that I'm talking right now comes out of a unique father-son intimacies and all my actions are unique father-son operations. I'm going to go over it line by line with anybody who wants to hear. I'm quoting from Matthew 11:28 in the message. The intent is Jesus begins to have this relationship with the father where he converses out loud so that he can draw us into it. This is something he so wants to do. Help us pray like Jesus. Help us deal with difficulties like Jesus would. Your initial response to any, any, any difficulty shows you where you are at with God. Your initial, your first response to any situation shows you where you are with God. 
the first response. Do you switch to autopilot? Uh, Got to fix this. Do you switch to quoting scriptures? Do you switch to faith? Or do you switch to what children do when they are in trouble? Surprising, even faith and quoting scripture ain't childlike enough. It's very grown-up Christianity. Third one, help you attain the maturity of Christ, which is Ephesians 4. That's the intent. That's God's end goal. We've talked about it many times. The end goal of the church is very simple. Can I raise you up to look like Christ? That's the end goal of the church. Can I raise you up to look like Christ? Any other end goal is actually changing the goalposts. Do not believe that evangelism is, healing is, uh, getting people saved is. It is not. The end goal is always, can I raise up a people to look like Christ? Do not change those goalposts. And the last one is, can I restore your image so that you can now go and be who I always wanted you to be. Go multiply after my kind. Show them what I look like. When they come and ask you, show me the Father, you'll say, look at me. And you have seen the Father. Brilliant, eh? There's such logic in it. Such logic in it. And Philip said to him, show us the Father. And he said, why, Philip? Why do you ask? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. When you stagnate in your union with Christ, when you stagnate in your, just three more sentences, which will take three minutes, you would think. (laughs) When you stagnate in your union with Christ, with the Spirit, and you stagnate in your union with the Spirit, one of the things you're afflicted with, surprisingly, is a poverty mentality. Because the Spirit gives life, eh? You stagnate in your union with Him, and surprisingly you're afflicted, or infected with a mentality that is prone to poverty. And by poverty, I just don't mean money. What does it look like? It looks like looking out for yourself because if you don't connect and relate and engage and work out things with the Holy Spirit, who do you have left but yourself? So what does it look like? It looks like looking out for yourself because you're the only one you can trust. You become the architect of your future. Two, you begin to conserve wealth because you've got to have something to fall back on. Three, you begin to work independently, even for God, you begin to work independently. While the Holy Spirit loves putting people together, he says, I want to end your piecemeal existence. I want to end your primary primary identity as a singular fallen man or woman. I want to to remember you into this beautiful thing called the body of Christ because I'm your DNA. I'm your blood type. I am the spirit of God that holds together this amazing thing called the bride of Christ called the church. And so to be stagnant in my union with the spirit 
brings these things on. Looking out for yourself, conserving wealth, working independently, and staying down when you fall because you're afraid to get up. You would rather now choose the safe pathway. And so how do you die? You die carefully. You die self-centered. You die rich. And you die with very little enduring fruit. And you die risk-averse. I'd hate for someone to put on my gravestone the line, he died carefully. That's a terrible thing to say about a person. He died rich, he died carefully. He died with very little enduring fruit. He died self-centered. Well, this is what happens to most Christians, eh? Well, the Spirit of God rubs his hands with glee saying, where do you want to go next? Wake up, wake up, because this body is mine. Your body is mine. Wake up. Your mouth is mine. I got places to go, things to do. Wake up. That's how the Spirit of God works. Last line, and I really mean it. And I've said this line many times before. Conspire with the Spirit. Conspire with the Spirit. Conspire with the Spirit. Why the word conspire? Why not just say think with the Spirit? Conspire with the Spirit because He is your advantage in heaven. He is your advantage in heaven. He is your inside man in the Godhead. He likes telling you the father and son are thinking. He likes bringing you in on their plans. It's like knowing something that's happening inside. Isaiah figured this out. Who shall I send? Who will go for it? Me, 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 me. That's the idea. And sometimes just to get up in the morning and have the ability to spend some time saying, Spirit of God, anything that, the, that heaven is planning that I can just ask for. like planning someone's birthday and you call the spouse and you don't let the other one know and you're planning because you want a surprise. It's that kind of thing. In talking like this, one of the things that happens is we make the Holy Spirit sound very human and it scares us. What we don't realize is that's exactly what Jesus did with the Father and it doesn't scare us. But when we begin to speak about the Holy Spirit in these terms, we've made him such a touch-me-not that he would shrivel up and leave. And we are so scared to make any mistakes with him. You've got to treat him exactly like you treat the Father and the, Holy Spirit and the Son. The intent is not to make him human. We're not trying to paint the Sistine Chapel and make God look like man. We're trying to relate to someone who is a person. Let's pray.
Father, this is not easy for us. We'd prefer just relating to you through Jesus. This kind of complicates things. We're talking about the triune Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with Pentecost around the corner, this is what you want us to do. You want us to engage the person of the Holy Spirit. And engaging him, we will know you better. I have a tendency to repeat the whole sermon in my prayer, so I'm going to stop short, Father, and just say, could you take the words that were spoken? And by your spirit, could you please help me, help us know him better? Usually we ask the Holy Spirit, can you help us know Jesus better? Today we're asking you, Jesus, could you help us know the Holy Spirit better? Because this is what you said about him. When he comes, he will take everything off mine and give it to you. We want to know him better so that we are in a position to receive everything that he wants to give off you. So I'm not asking you to fill me. We can try that next week. I'm asking you to, I'm coming to you with an open mind and an open heart saying, I want to know you so much better because I don't relate to you too well. Um, as I'm praying for me, I'm praying for the entire church. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sue, you got guys who can come up for prayer? Hey, if you need prayer, feel free to come up. There'll be guys here in front who can pray for you. Pray for whatever your need be. Uh, mm, I won't be here next week, but uh, have an amazing Pentecost. It's one of my favorite uh, things on the Christian calendar. Uh, and uh, I'll see you the week after. Uh, who's in charge next? Derek is in charge.